She's uh, obviously very wary that you guys are here, being new to her. So that's why we're getting a few of those vocalizations. You're listening to Fauna, a podcast by Zoos Victoria. We have three campuses at Hillsville Sanctuary, Melbourne Zoo and Werribee Open Range Zoo. In Fauna, we invite you backstage. You'll meet the keepers and hear from the vets and scientists about what they do to care for animals at the zoo and beyond. Today, we visit all three campuses to hear from some clever creatures. You might think a human is the most intelligent species of all, but if you give an animal the opportunity, it might just surprise you. We define humans as obviously a very intelligent super predator species on this earth, which is no doubt true. Meet Sally. I'm Sally Sherwin, the animal welfare specialist at Zoo's Victoria. Traditionally, we've always wanted to measure an animal's intelligence based on how closely related or how closely they behave like humans, which is a bit ridiculous when you start thinking about it or teasing it apart. And we start to go, oh, you know, this species can use tools, therefore it's highly intelligent and various other things. But tool use is so widespread across the animal kingdom. In fact, I think it would be hard to find any ability that is uniquely human. You can tend to find find examples of pretty complex abilities and behaviours across the animal kingdom. So, maybe finding the most intelligent species won't be as simple as we thought. You look at an animal like a shark and you wouldn't say, oh, they're highly intelligent species that are capable of solving all these complicated cognitive experiments. But you look at how perfectly adapted those animals are to their environment and how they survive. Yeah, humans in that environment would be nowhere near as intelligent as a shark in their environment. So it all depends on, I guess, the context of of how you define intelligence. At the zoo... Animals are just as clever at adapting to their environment. Pretty much every species that lives in our care has pretty advanced cognitive abilities that we need to be well and truly aware of to be able to provide for its needs in captivity. If we have a really thorough understanding of what traits and what behaviours are important to provide for good animal welfare and we provide all of those in captivity, then we're at a very strong starting point for delivering positive animal welfare. When we think of animal training, sometimes we think of just a training session, but every time we interact with an animal, it's a learning opportunity. Hi, I'm Sue Yench. I work as the animal training coordinator at Hillsville Sanctuary. We have animals that we need to do medical treatments with. Traditionally, the way to do that is go in and grab an animal and put it into a bag or put it into a box and potentially trap that animal. Use a lot of smoke and daggers and tricky ways that us smart humans think we might be able to get this animal so that we can then take it up to the vets. Then the stress is further amplified by the event of having to be put under anaesthetic for any sort of treatment. With training, we can turn that all around so we can have an animal that we can go, hey, do you want to hop into a box? And the animal will go, yeah, sure, happy to hop into the box because you've shown me this millions of times and I'm really happy in this spot. We can close the door, we can walk up to the vets if that's what needs to happen. 
and the animal will be really content travelling up there, be willing and happy to be in the box. And then when we get at the other end, we can ask them, hey, how about you put your nose into this little cone? And they're like, sure, I can do that. And that's just a little bit of gas that will help them go to sleep for an anaesthetic for us to then treat them. And uh, I think you can already imagine that that's a better outcome for our animals. So that's what we're aiming for. Through that building of trust and using positive reinforcement, more often than not, if done well, you end up with an animal that's really willing, happy to be there, and it's an extremely powerful tool because you, you, know, you can give anaesthetics, you can give injections. Animals can learn to stay in one spot and be given an injection that's quite painful for a reinforcement that it really wants and completely choose to be there. So it's incredibly powerful. Cue Fergie, the long-billed Corella. Fergie, do you want to say hi? Fergie actually came to us as Fergus when he arrived up into the hospital. Uh, he was found by a member of the public and he wasn't well. He also had this funny beak. Didn't look like most long-billed Corellas. It's a little bit straighter than the long-billed Corellas that have a little bit more of a curved beak. And their beak should be around five or six centimetres long and Fergus's was longer than that. It was about ten centimetres long. It's a bit of a mystery as to why Fergie's beak keeps growing. Not that it put Hillsville Sanctuary's other long-billed Corella, Kevin, off. The pair got on famously. So we wanted to find a friend for Kevin anyway, so we thought we'd give Fergus and Kevin a chance. And, oh, they loved each other. So that's when we found out that Fergus was actually a Fergie. <laughs> and they're great buddies now. And so, yeah, when we first started working with Fergie, the way that we traditionally manage this beak condition, which can't be cured, it's something that we have to manage for the rest of Fergie's life. And so traditionally, you go into the aviary with a net and catch up the bird. Generally, that's very noisy because the bird's not very happy and is letting you know in bird terms. And it's risky. They've got a big, strong beak, so for the staff that are involved. Then it involves a staff member holding Fergie in a way that another staff member can cut the end of the beak. And then they need to file it back. So think of it like cutting our nails. It's all quite sharp to start off with, and then they file it back to make sure it's nice and smooth. But you can imagine it's not very comfortable for Fergie. That's where we thought this is a great opportunity for us to use positive reinforcement and you know, work together with Fergie to come up with a scenario which is a lot better for her and for the staff involved. And that's where we are at the process now of training her to come up and have her beak filed with a Dremel. I'm amazed that we could achieve it with a Dremel. I thought we'd need like a big version of a nail file and we could do it very gradually. Today we're doing a training session with one of our long-billed Corellas and her name is Fergie. So Sue is filming one of Fergie's training sessions with Katrina, who's one of the keepers at Hillsville Sanctuary. Fergie is really quite comfortable with the Dremel. Uh, she doesn't appear nervous of that. Seems to really like putting her beak onto the piece of dowel. So aim for this session is I'd love her to hold the dowel for a little bit longer so she can get some peanut pieces but I guess the aim with any session is to keep it all positive and Fergie's in yeah, complete control of when she'd like to let go of the dowel. So we'll see how it goes. Hey Fergie, can you come down? Yeah. 
It's taken months of training, but Fergie now holds still while keepers use the handheld grinder to file her beak. It works. Fergie's beak won't grow any further. And for her patience, she's been rewarded with pieces of peanut. You've just got a peanut for a longer hold. And that's basically chocolate, as far as Fergie's concerned. All right, thanks, Katrina. Say bye. Thanks, Fergie. (laughs) Nice work. Majority of the reinforcement is food, so that's what we call a primary reinforcer. It's something that the animal needs, so it has the strongest value to the animal as well. My name is Bianca Papadopoulos, and I'm the animal training coordinator here at Melbourne Zoo. Different foods are reinforcing, so for example, a gorilla really might enjoy some fruit and maybe an eggplant is not as reinforcing. So they're both food, but one has a higher reinforcing value than the other. Every animal's different. You can't just say gorillas like one thing, zebras like another thing. So each individual in that species has a favourite food. And sometimes we'll also give them in training sessions what's known as a secondary reinforcer. So that's something like a toy or enrichment. Some animals like tactile, so scratches and tickles. So we'll give them as well. We've always been really good at looking after the animal's physiological well-being. They've always had good vet care and got the best food and those kinds of things. But training animals to participate in their own welfare is a rapidly advancing field. There are three animal training coordinators at Zoos Victoria, one each at Hillsville Sanctuary, Melbourne Zoo and Werribee Open Range Zoo. They're new roles, introduced in 2017. So we want to be able to have an animal voluntarily interact with us, but that will also be able to allow us to be able to manage them, so manage their husbandry, manage their health. Hi, my name's Kelly Hobbs. I am the Animal Training Coordinator at Werribee Open Range Zoo. So if we have a gorilla that we need to check its teeth, rather than putting it under a heavy sedation to be able to do that, which can be very risky for animals like gorillas, can simply teach those gorillas to open their mouth for us. And we can look at their teeth, we can brush their teeth with a toothbrush, we can do all of those things that we need to do. And it's a really actually positive experience for those animals afterwards. Malu. Good man. My name's Flo Butcher, I'm a primate keeper at Melbourne Zoo. Um, Malu is a Sumatran orangutan. He was born here at Melbourne Zoo. He's a 14-year-old orangutan, so he's a teenage boy. And like most teenage boys, he likes to show his strength. Um, He's very active and extremely intelligent. So the training programs that we've put together are designed to keep him active, both mentally and physically. It's the start of Fleur and Malu's daily training routine. It happens in a little annex off the side of the orangutan exhibit. It's right next to the public viewing area, so that's why it's a bit noisy. Fleur never actually enters the enclosure. She and Malu are on either side of a stainless steel mesh fence, with gaps in it big enough to pass brightly coloured plastic blocks back and forth. Good 
So what we're trying to do with this build behaviour is to put some of his uh, energy into making stuff instead of breaking stuff. So we spent lots of time together doing positive building behaviours. Good boy! Malik, give. Good job! All of them. Five. Good job. So you notice that when he actually breaks things as part of a training session, then that is no longer part of the session. As you can see, he's given them all back to me beautifully. I'm broken now. Can I have that other block, please? And give. Good job, mister. Good job. Orangutans are destructive by nature. Malu's an extremely intelligent boy. He takes after his mum, who is an amazing tool user. So he's taken that line of intelligence and he's taken it even further. So he pushes the boundaries on a daily basis. Can I have a look on your head? Have you got an ouchie? You do. Oh, it's a big bump. Let me have a better look. Oh, that is nasty, darling. Thank you for showing me. He's got a sore head. He's got a very big lump on his head that he just showed me. It's nasty, isn't it? Here. Yeah. Okay. So every morning we take them from head to toe. We run them through all these behaviours. We brush their teeth and we use lots of different medical tools to expose them to, desensitise them. So if they have a veterinary procedure, they're not uh, nervous of the items. As you can see, he's very comfortable having a needle put up to his arm. So this is really useful if they have veterinary procedures. But it's not just useful when Malu goes to the vet. In 2015, his training saved his life. Malu used one of his blankets. He twisted it through the stainless steel mesh on one of his exhibits and managed to stretch and pop the exhibit open enough for him to escape. He was spotted quite quickly after he got out of the exhibit, so the keepers came down and positioned themselves in a safe position and asked him to come over for an injection. He presented his shoulder, they injected him and he went to sleep. We saved his life. In the same week, there was an orangutan that escaped overseas and it was shot. So having such amazing trust between the keeper and him meant that he was able to safely return to his dens. I've been working in the zoos nearly 30 years and animals training has evolved a lot. It's really nice to work at Zoos Victoria where they're proactively working towards the best training programs possible. We've recently rolled out standards on the primate department, which means every animal in our department gets trained every day. So that's an amazing achievement and it shows the direction the zoo is going in regards to animal welfare and they're committed to making a difference. As a zookeeper, I want to work with happy animals. I want to give them a good life. Training gives me opportunity to do that. And yeah, I love it. I love the interaction with the animals. That's why I'm a zookeeper. That's it, good man.
I don't believe there's anything higher in animal welfare than giving the animals the choice to participate in their own healthcare. You know, these animals are opening their mouths on cue. They're allowing us to brush their teeth if need be. They allow us to give them injections. We can take blood from them. We can do x-rays. We can do ultrasounds. Sort of just a little bit of a warning, just sort of saying there's new people that are getting a little bit close by. She's just letting us know that this is her territory. She's sort of, you know, going around the perimeter as well. So she's just getting a sense of who's near her exhibit, who's near her mate and who's near her territory. So I'll do a training session now that she's quietened down a little bit um, and we'll see how she goes with a few extra people around. Meet Jess. Jess McDonald, one of the primate keepers. We're going to train Lily, our female white-cheeked gibbon. I've started training Lily for a hand injection and for an ultrasound. Should she get pregnant, we can sort of get a heads up as to how the baby's travelling and things like that. All right, so Lily's quite dominant out in this exhibit. You saw that she just sort of chased the male away and she's vocalising there, so just letting us know that she's, she's ready to train. So I'm going to give her sort of my full attention just so she knows she's doing the right thing when we train. Okay. When Lily's in position or stationed, Jess uses a short piece of PVC pipe as a stand-in probe to get Lily used to having something touching her belly. This means, should she ever need an ultrasound, it'll be a familiar process. So the fact that I can place this probe right up to her belly and it's nice and flush on that mesh for me, that's the behaviour I want, that nice flush belly. Now that she's doing that on cue, it should be really easy to establish when we've got the correct setup and the actual probe to get that behaviour. All of these behaviours she's learnt from scratch, which I've had the privilege of, of teaching her and training her. And she's just so keen, as you can see, to train. She's really food motivated, which makes it really easy to reinforce those behaviours. She's just a beautiful animal, really. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thanks to animal training, Lily knows that she's in safe hands and she stays calm. She's a dream patient. Animal training is a complex field of expertise, but the idea behind it is pretty simple. Animals have a different way of thinking, behaving and learning. So let's trust in the intelligence of other species on their terms. If we understand them, they'll better understand us too. Thanks to Dr Sally Sherwin, Sue Yench, Kelly Hobbs, Bianca Papadopoulos, Fleur Butcher and Jess MacDonald for your input into this episode. And of course, a special thank you to Fergie, the long-billed Corella, Malu, the Sumatran orangutan, and Lily, the white-cheeked gibbon, for showing off your cleverness. Fauna is produced by Bridie Smith and Beck Fari for Zoos Victoria. Hosted by Annie Last. For more information head to zoo.org.au slash fauna. 
Zoos Victoria operates three campuses, Healesville Sanctuary, Melbourne Zoo and Werribee Open Range Zoo, and is a zoo-based conservation organisation fighting extinction to secure a future rich in wildlife. <laughs>